If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at liveonfourlegspod. What's the name of this place? Is this place still, is it still, uh, are we at a place that's still named after beer? This one's after an airplane, I guess. Well, they serve beer on airplanes, don't they? But at least uh, kind of feel you all uh, everywhere, including the uh, the non-smoking section. But. Uh, all right, it already feels like a plane. It's taken off, so thanks a lot for coming. Uh, and I'm already glad we did. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience, featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Fucking camera in the truck. Now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast. Today's episode will be going back to the binaural tour, talking about a show from Toronto. It's a Patreon request, and it feels like a lot of our Patreon requests is like, of course, when you do get shows, they are big city shows. You know, we get a lot from Boston, we get a lot from Chicago, and we've had ones from Toronto as well. But the request E on this, one of our patrons, Gabby, is actually not from Toronto, so this will be interesting to talk about when we get to telling her story, and we'll also have another guest on pretty close to the top of the show. So let's just introduce the thing. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. Hi. Yep, it feels like it's been a while since we've done a 2000 show. It has. This one, this one was like a breath of fresh air going back to this year because getting these binaural songs it's a lot of stuff we don't get to talk about too much recently like i've been looking forward to this one and it, it delivered yeah and i think what was cool about this show and really about 2000 is that like the connection with the crowd is all through the music there's not a lot of time to stop and tell stories and things like that there's a little banter here and there but really not too much but the story is really told through the band and how the connection to the crowd is going. Cause um, there's going to be a moment in this 
that I can't wait to talk about. That that's going to be great, and it really reminds me of one of my favorite crowd moments of all time. Actually, it'll be in Steve's interview that comes up in a couple seconds or so. But when you go back to eras that you really haven't touched in a long time, like it does feel like a big refresh, and especially here where binaural, I think is so fascinating from the bootleg aspect and all the storylines that are kind of happening outside the shows and things like that. And really this is the second show from the second leg of the tour. So the story would obviously be what happened later, the 10th anniversary, the Seattle show, but in general, the story is still the after effects of Ross killed. And I think that this is fully telling you that, you can never get over it, but you can get through it. And I feel like they were able to persevere through the first leg of the tour. And that was dealt with and worked on while they were out there for the second leg. Yeah. That first leg was really about healing and about like reestablishing that connection with the crowd and the crowd picking them up and being like, Nope, we're, we're not going to let you quit. We're not going to let you fall apart after this. We're going to carry this thing. And the band reacted to that. And I think, that first leg healed them a lot and they were able to come out on the second leg and give some of those epic performances you talked about the 10th anniversary in Seattle and, you know, among others. But this is really where they've picked up the pieces a little bit and they're starting to remember like, Hey, we, we can do this. Like we can continue what happened. We're not, we're not going to forget. We're not going to like gloss over it, but it, it's a part of us now and we're going to continue and, and keep doing what we do. And it's a long tour too. There's looks like 22 shows that take place during this, or I should say like 23 if we're adding Montreal that happened before that. But yeah, that's, that's pretty long and they would finish up on the sixth and this would be the fifth. So, all right. Well, I mentioned and teased that we were going to talk to our friend, Steve Bennett, who was at this show and did a little bit more on this tour as well. So we're going to have him tell the story. And while he's telling the story, you'll get to hear that crowd that connected me to a moment in Toronto. So check this out. I was 20 years old and basically I was in college and I was living life to go to these shows. When the shows weren't going on, I was working hockey schools and working at a hockey rink to save money to go to more shows. The tour itself was sort of an evolution in the sense that I didn't know exactly what shows I was going to go to because I didn't exactly know how much money I would have. And, yeah. and this Toronto show was the second show after a break. My first show was the first show back after Europe, which was when I, wasn't one I planned to go to in Virginia Beach. Just with everything that had happened in Denmark, I felt like I wanted to be there. So my friend and I went to that show kind of at the last minute. And then we had a run of five where we went to Columbus, three at Jones Beach, and Saratoga Springs. And then I worked the hockey school and was able to get to one of the Philadelphias and then I went to Pittsburgh as well the, with the wash umbrella. And then there was a break. And the first two shows out of the break were Montreal and Toronto. And those were two I planned from the beginning. I had never been to Montreal, but I figured we could drive to Montreal, see that show, and then just basically drive home, stopping in Toronto, seeing that show on the way back. And then from that point forward, I went to Detroit. And then I went to the 10-year anniversary show. And I remember... The band being a little bit better than Montreal in the sense that you get the feeling that they had that one show under their belt kind of a thing. It really did feel like a night two. And even though they were different cities and different arenas, it really felt 
like that we are getting kind of a night two in terms of set list, in terms of the band's performance, because that first night very much felt like them restarting and getting going. And the crowd at, in Montreal was really great, really hot, but it felt like the band took a little bit to work up to that, where then as it felt like right away in Toronto, which I think sometimes was the first song, it felt like once sometimes ended, they really, really just took off. And I remember right around Brain of Jay, which is maybe in the first five or something, like, wow, they are smoking tonight compared to last night. And I really got that feeling a lot of the way through. Let me ask you, were you at the Hartford show in 2013? Yes. Okay. There's a moment in this show, I believe it's in between Animal and Dissident, where that crowd is like on its feet, giving them a massive standing ovation, and Ed's mm-hmm. just kind of like, okay, all right, great, like, yeah. we love you too. And that, you know, I'll always hold Hartford and what happened after the last exit that night in really, really high regard, but that moment is very, very similar to that. Yeah, and it's one of those moments that's just sort of burned onto my brain, too. Like, I can picture just where I was standing in the arena. And I didn't have the best seats that night, but I remember just standing there and just sort of looking at Ed taking a step back and sort of looking at him, looking to the side, I think, to Stone to kind of say, like, wow, you know, we're getting a huge pop here. You know, it felt like a a special moment on that tour, and I, I do remember it. It sticks out. And that both those crowds, those two Canadian crowds, were very, very good, especially compared to the Detroit crowd a few nights later, which wasn't as great, which maybe was, if I had to rank all those shows in 2000, that might be the one I'd rank 12. Not that I dislike that show. There's some things I like a lot about it. It's where I heard Parting Ways for the first time. But these two crowds were really good. You really felt the love. And I think Ed does mention at the show, too, that the previous show on the Yield Tour was outside at Molson Park in Barrie. Right. Um, and and that I think they got almost 35,000 people there. And this show in 2000 very much felt like there was demand for 35,000, but only 20,000 got in. And the 20,000 that did get in knew that they were lucky not to be one of the 15,000 on the outside and, and gave it their all because of it. So thank you, Steve, for coming on. That was terrific. Always love talking to you. And he has a podcast called The Sportscasters that's out there. He's talked to tons of guests from sports media and music as well. Yeah, he's, he's done a terrific job with all that, and he's on his 12th year doing it. So uh, big props to him. Keep doing what he's doing over there, and definitely check it out on Spotify or, or SoundCloud or, or Apple over there. So all right. Let's tell one more story because Gabby was the person that requested this. So we're going to give Gabby's story a little read here. And all right, I'll just jump right into it. I became Pearl Jam fan mid to late 90s. Being a 30-year-old fan in Germany at this time meant that you bought or copied a CD, which I did with Live on Two Legs. Nothing more. I was too old for girly fan magazines. I didn't watch much MTV and the internet, especially social media, wasn't in full swing. So I didn't have the faintest idea how our boys looked, nor I knew anything about live concerts or the hype around the band that happened in the U.S. I simply loved the music. Live on Two Legs soon became one of my most listened to CDs. And in 2000, Binaural came out at a time where my life was quite challenging and the music helped me to stay strong. 
Up until today, Binaural is still my favorite Pearl Jam studio album. So many great songs. Nothing as it seems. Insignificance. Sleight of hand. Grievance. Fast forward to today and why I requested the Toronto 2000 show. I bought the bootleg before I went on holiday in Cyprus in 2020. I have to tell you that before I had a subscription to Nugs, I always downloaded a new or fresh-to-me show before I went on vacation. The first time I listened to the Toronto show, I was running up a hill at the coast of Cyprus and reached the top with a spectacular view of the ocean when Nothing As It Seems, my favorite song, came up. Fantastic. Soon the show became my favorite soundtrack for holidays or beach runs. Last year when I was in Amsterdam, when the first show got cancelled, I went to the beach in Zandvoort, which is a half hour away from Amsterdam, the next morning, and I listened to the Toronto show, and when Given a Fly came up, I was 100% certain that this night, night two of Amsterdam, was going to happen. And it did. My three to five or six moments, I specifically love the stretch of nothing as it seems Given a Fly in insignificance, and River Mirror, especially the bridge. Then Immortality and Indifference as a Closer, so good, and Sleight of Hand, but that's too many. It's, it, it's never too many. It's never too many. So she rates it a 9, and thanks for all your efforts on the podcast. Proud to be part of it today, and thank you. We don't have these efforts without people like Gabby, so thank yeah, you for thanks, sending your story and being a longtime contributor. That was great, and all of my interactions with Gabby have been terrific, and she's a wonderful person, so happy to do her favorite bootleg for this one here. So uh, thanks again. Awesome stuff. You might Let's- hear some of her... Uh- favorite moments come back in at the end of the show we'll have to see all right so the question of the week over on twitter facebook wherever on social media was what is your favorite binaural live song it's pretty simple pretty simple answer a lot of people put more than one answer but now i guess i'll just do this in this way since i have the calculations totaled i'm gonna ask john what he thinks here i'm gonna start at the bottom so there's one song from the 13 that got zero votes do you know what that song is oh god's dice nope Mm, rival rival got one okay god's dice got three okay so i'm close what is it Soon forget. Okay. So Makes soon sense. forget got zero. Rival, thin air, evacuation, and breaker fall all got one. God's dice got three. Light years only got five, which is Ooh, very that's strange. Mine. Criminal. Yeah. That light light years is mine. It looks like both nothing as it seems and insignificance got nine, which is the same for grievance, got nine two. So we're now in between what is of the girls, sleight of hand, and parting ways for the top one. I'm seeing here, if I count, I think there's 10 for sleight of hand, and I think there is 11 for parting ways. But the one that got voted the top song to hear live from Binaural is one that you still hear nowadays. It was one that was played a couple of times on this tour. Of the Girl was voted by you guys, the listeners, the followers, as the top binaural song live. Surprised by that or no? Very surprised. Very surprised. Okay, why is that? It's just not the kind of song that usually, like, people gravitate towards. It's not one of the soaring Pearl Jam songs that 
are in like the canon of popular songs that people think about. Like, obviously, not many songs from Binaural are going to get there, but I would have thought, like, yeah, Insignificance probably, Nothing It Seems, Grieving. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. I find it interesting that Sleight of Hand and Parting Ways made the top three of that. Sure. And sure. Sleight of Hand is played at this show, so we'll get to talking about that one yep. a little bit. But yeah, Parting Ways. You know, it being so rare, I think that's part of it, too, from this album, is that mm. there are so many songs that people just haven't seen. And up until this year, or last year, I should say, since we're in 2023 now, I had only five under my belt and scored two more with Light Years and Of The Girl. So it's six left that I haven't seen from this record, then a lot of them I would love to see, like Parting Ways. Parting Ways sure. would probably be number one on that list. Yep. So... Yeah, I fully get that. Yeah, like Sleight of Hand and Parting Ways, I think, too, they've aged very well. They don't sound dated to the time. And, like, that aspect of Pearl Jam has, I think, grown in stature. Like, they're kind of, like, slow, heavy songs like that 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 really hit. The back end of the record, too, people love the, the back ends of those records over time. So, But, yeah, I think in my 12 shows, I think I've seen six total binaural songs played like you like of the girl it was a new one for me so they don't play these very often anymore nope and that's why it is fun to go back to this era i believe we're getting five or six it's five from the show and a lot of them are pretty close to the top so why don't we just get into the show the way we're going to kick this off here is with sometimes I think that sometimes is always a good opener when you know that you're going to break out right afterwards. You just want something short. You don't want it to look like, I wouldn't say linger, but have that emotional weight to it with a release or a long road. It's a quick one. You can fire away. It can sound good. And then your next five or six are going to be pretty all out here. It's a pretty good run that they have falling sometimes. Oh, it's fantastic. And sometimes, too, Mike is doing an effect on his guitar that I recognize, but I can't place what it sounds like. It's like a metallic kind of echoey sound. I think the way to do this is later in the show, we'll have a bite from Javier, who's going to join us for the first time to talk about gear and stuff like that. So maybe that's something that we get in advance. Randy and John. Hello, John. Long time no see. Okay, so I'm assuming that the metallic sound that you hear, what I think he's doing, this one is pretty tricky. So the one on the upper right, the blue one, that is a Line 6 MM4. The MM4 has a pan mode. According to the tags, he doesn't have that. So the only way that you can create that sound, that metallic sound, is not plugging the strings with the pick is sliding the pick up and turning on the reverb over the amp he was using high watt trentinos and orange in a marshall around that time if my memory is right so yeah that metallic sound i'm pretty sure that is by grabbing the pick and sliding the pick up through the strings getting the reverb on that's kind of like the only way that you can get that sound for what he has on the board at that current time there's no way that you can have a pan 
effect, as I was saying before. So that's my theory, but that, that is a tricky one. 2000 is the year of Mike spurging on all his new pedals and, and adding a lot of those effects to different things. Right, and then breaking them subsequently right afterwards. Yeah. yeah, it is when you get to hear a lot of these songs and a little bit of changes. Then there are songs that do have like little bit parts that get changed from the original version. And I think a couple of them happen in, in this little stretch. So following sometimes, break or fall, corduroy, grievance, and these are all just electric and hard-hitting and just gelled so, so well together. Breaker Fall, excellent start. I've actually seen, believe it or not, the only time I saw Breaker Fall had the combination of sometimes and a Breaker Fall. I don't remember if Corduroy was right afterwards or not, but it's a good combination because it's a balance between something that kind of prepares you and something that just takes off. Yeah, it's about Ed's howl at the beginning and him just like letting loose on that thing. Just oh man, like sometimes it's so just kind of like a slow build and it never really breaks into that something really crazy, at least at this point. But then you get that howl at the beginning of Breaker Fall and it's like, Oh, here we go, like we're in it now. And yeah, Breaker Fall you think of as one of the faster ones, you know, you mentioned Javier's gonna be on to talk about guitars and stuff. You see Stone is playing a Rickenbacker guitar on this, which is known for like being very jangly and like you think of like the birds and REM and things like that using like these these jangly like kind of clean sounding Rickenbacker guitars, but he's got one here on Breakerfall. I think it adds a little interesting texture to it. This is probably the best era to talk about the gear in general, like you were saying, and it's not just the pedals and all that, but it's it's everything. It's the guitars, it's the sound and everything like that. And this was the only it, song I noticed him playing it on, so it's, it's a little interesting. weird. Hmm. Yeah. I, I really love this version, and I love Corduroy into Grievance back-to-back, but especially I really love this version of Corduroy. And, you know, sometimes you listen to it every week, and you're like, yeah, Corduroy, it's one of those songs that is just a part of doing the listening for this podcast but some reason i i felt like this version of corduroy had this just massive big feel to it where the crowd was reacting at the right time and and explodes after the bridge when mike goes into the solo and it really felt like one of those versions of corduroy that takes hold of an entire show build up to the solo you know after he finishes the vocal there and then the band like 
kicks it up a notch and you have that surge that I sometimes talk about like you feel every one of the band just pushing like on the song like let's send this somewhere different and that build up to the solo right before Mike comes in like they let that just hang a little bit and you could feel the tension on stage in a good way it felt like they were on fire at that point like when they can do something like that in corduroy and it it doesn't happen every time but this felt like a 95 you know 94 quarter where they right before that solo they were just like just hitting it really really hard and yeah it just builds up that intensity when the solo comes in just lets it all out and then it just explodes yeah it's it's really really good this is a very good beginning to the show yeah and i think uh we have to mention the montreal version of corduroy too corduroy in montreal the night before was something that really we hadn't heard on it before it was like him kind of going all out as he would in even flow so it's kind of interesting because this isn't the typical mike corduroy solo here either so he's definitely trying new things and they're just testing things out throwing things at the wall and seeing what fits here this era is as good as any to do that but also for them to even consider doing that when some of these songs especially corduroy are just so just ingrained into the live set and it, it is a gamble it is a gamble it is taking a chance to to change it up a little bit but going back to corduroy and the grievance too the transition is perfect little bit in between but then getting the drum intro to go right into grievance great it's a fierce version barely seconds to breathe in between some of these songs too and just a great drive powerful nasty and also of note not very often where you get to see ed play guitar on the full first four songs yeah, that's true. It's been a while. Usually, you know, you kick off with a release or uh, or something like that where he's not playing. So, yeah, that's a good call. But yeah, Corduroy to Grievance, I think Steve mentioned this too, but that was kind of the pairing of the time. They figured these two songs are going to pair really well together. And yeah, they absolutely work, work really well here. Then the next three that kind of come out of that are Brain of Jay, Into Animal, Into Dissident. And I'm going to even say that the streak continues in Dissident. At first, I was like, okay, it's into Animal. But you know what? Dissident was actually pretty strong for what it was, too. But the big moment from these three comes in Brain of Jay. And specifically comes from what Stone is doing in his solo. It just has this just razor-sharp bite to it that you don't get from a Stone guitar solo at all. And one of the things that we're doing this year to kind of help enhance the show a little bit and kind of get you guys into gear and get you guys thinking about how things sound instead of what it sounds like. We're going to our friend Javier Hervas, who is excellent and very, very, very intelligent about the gear and the sound and and how the sound is coming. So I asked him about what Stone was using on this and I would love to share his answer with you guys. So here it is. So I thought there was a fuzz pedal at the beginning, but it's not. He's not using any fuzz pedals on his board. It's an SD9, a sonic distortion, uh, made by Ibanez. 
he rolls down the tone all the way to the left, like you have no space. So whenever you're playing, like the guitar sounds like that, if that makes sense. But yeah, it's a pedal that he only used around this time. I haven't seen it on his board since. He used this for this solo and for other ones in this show, for what I understand. It's a pretty unique thing. Like it basically gets the guitar in a super high gain, but he rolls down the tone to make it sound like a fuss, which is super freaking clever, if you, if you ask me. Yeah, you could definitely tell that like it was something that was like overdriven. The, the gain was turned all the way up, more distorted than we usually ever hear Stone. Yeah, a phenomenal version. And look, I'm always looking for what the best versions of Brandon J are going to be. And I think, you know, Western Forum in 98 is going to be one of the top. But yeah, this this can make the top five. This is up there. I'm going to remember this one for this solo. You don't get to, it's just sharp. It just feels sharp. It feels like there's an edge to it. And that's what makes it sound so perfect. So thank you, Javier, for filling that in and letting us know all that stuff. And we'll be counting on you a little bit for the rest of the year. And he's super excited to do it, too. So even you guys at home, if you have a question about what they're doing in, in shows, I'm, I'm sure he'd be happy to, to help you out and figure it out. Animal and Dissident, we got two verses right here. Animal just hypnotizing rhythm and has that kind of cool buzz on Stone's guitar as well. And then Dissident, I, I felt like Mike's part in this wasn't the usual part that comes from Dissident. It felt like he was experimenting on this a little bit too. So yeah, I give them credit for thinking outside the box here and getting some extra creativity. Dissident feels like one of those songs where it's so kind of set in its way where you can't really change much outside of what it is like it's not a good one to do for the evolution episode because and it kind of stays there and it, it does its job but you know this is one of the first from dissident that i noticed okay they're actually trying something new with it I think 2000 is the year of Mike and doing different things and exploring and going off and throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah, this is interesting. I mean, even if, like for me, I might not go back and, and listen to this, but it definitely held my attention. You can always listen to what Mike is doing in 2000. All right. So that was that stretch, and that was fantastic right there. And uh, I think a lot of those moments might be coming back a little bit later. But right here, you can tell the crowd is real happy about it. And, and I think all six of those songs took under 20 minutes to play, which is just sure. unbelievable. Sure. They just ran right through that. So as we talked about with Steve in, in the interview with, that we did with Steve, this moment right here following all that is so appreciated by the fans that they are just on their feet 
giving them this massive standing ovation. And you know how it's good when Ed kind of reacts and kind of like does sort of a, a double take on it. And then it gets louder all of a sudden. Thank you. Good evening. Hi. Great to be here. Honest. Those are the best kind of crowd moments. And again, you know, I don't think this beats hard for 2013, but that's being biased right there, of course. But it's the same kind of thing as just taking in this massive moment and letting the crowd just show their appreciation. Yeah, you definitely you can hear it. there's a loud roar after after animal i'm thinking like going back to look at five horizons i was like oh did something happen was there like something but it was just yeah just this crowd on their feet letting the band know that again they've got their back we're going to carry you through this and when we appreciate you being here yeah it's a special moment so ed asks everybody what's the name of this place is it still named after beer and then Jeff whispers over to him and says the name of the place was Air Canada Center. And Ed says, this one is after an airplane, I guess. They serve beer on airplanes, don't they? We kind of feel you all, including the non-smoking section. It already feels like a plane that's taking off. And, you know, look, nothing as it seems is not bad to follow that up. But Given a Fly should have been the song out of that, right? <laughs> he was giving a little tease as to what was coming later. Yeah. But I mean, like when you talk about soaring songs and you can talk about a plane kind of soaring, you know, miles and miles and miles above sea level, nothing as it seems is that kind of song. So I'll give it to them for that. So yeah, it works. Right. And I don't think he was planning on saying any of that. If he was, then he would have put the set list together. That's more of a, a late 2000s Ed thing to do anyway. I don't think he was doing real cutesy stuff at this time. But nothing as it seems in any show at 2000 is a talking point because of what Mike is doing, because how he is enhancing his solos. Cameron really stood out to me on this one. I think he takes it over when it gets to the ending there. I was very impressed by what Matt was doing, just pounding the shit out of that thing and really hitting the moments like just sounded like thunder. Yeah, Cameron, the highlight for me. I know that's Mike's song and we're going to talk about Mike a lot at the show. But for me, it was was watching Cameron that really made the song here. Now, you know, Given a Fly goes through a little bit of evolution points like a week or so later. But this one was kind of interesting. It felt like Cameron was making purposeful attempts to be a little bit more tribal on his version of Given a Fly. There was a spot where he kind of tossed in a cymbal hit with a fill. And that kind of felt like, okay, that usually 
doesn't have the same sound as giving a fly and it was a little bit out of place but i mean the song got to a point where it build and build and build and was a great performance but yeah just little things i guess he's trying on in his end to see what works and not the normal stuff that you hear giving a fly all the time yeah i think trying to be faithful to the original version and like he would come to put his stamp on that song later but in, in 2000 it really wasn't there yet insignificance and the daughter this is a good section of course and intros insignificance by saying the song is about being small stone with some very sneaky good backup vocals on this i love that and then there's this three guitar attack that always happens on insignificance that it's such good balance because stone is kind of opened up and mike is even kind of open up and it's really ed and even jeff that start that rhythm that kind of lead that charge on the strumming so yeah that was really good and there's also what a part where ed kind of changes a little bit of the pronouns here right yeah he says turn the jukebox up i said and then when i hear my band start playing so you get a little alternate history as to like maybe the origins of the song because we know the songs about bombs and like military manufacturers and like he saw this missiles and planes being delivered through seattle but adding like i said and my band starts playing gives a little more personal aspect i think so and again, I'm totally with the, the three guitar attack with Ed putting the guitar back on after that original section. Like, oh yeah, the three of them sound very good together. Stone and Mike on this, just to put it on a clinic. Usually you're kind of familiar with the even flow spot to break things up a little bit, but you know, I, I noticed on Daughter in the tag, you get a little solo from Stone in this. Yep. yep. That's very cool. something that you really don't get. Again, experimenting with little, little things on this tour that makes sense. Androgynous Mind is the tag, and we do get some good vocal runs from Ed. Almost sounded like he was doing on a rope in there, right? I think it's just the melody is very similar. That's what I was saying. Yeah, he's not actually singing on a rope. Right, right. Yeah, that's solo from Stone. Yeah. Bring that up more, please. Yeah. You got all that time in the song. Just give us something. Yeah, he's so fluid and so melodic and like... It just feels effortless, but it's it's very, very good. Uh, here's a duo that you don't really get too often. I guess you can call it the man duo. Better Man and then Mankind. I thought that this was one of the faster versions of Better Man that I've ever heard. And it's funny that we say that because it's so fast that there's a moment where Ed is strumming so hard on this and you can see a string snap you can tell like it's bothering him it's just dangling below him and you can tell he's looking at he keeps paying attention to it and just like kind of throws it over his shoulder when that happens when you know that they're going all out on this especially better man because again we don't get supercharged up 
versions of Better Man every single show. So that kind of perked my ear a little bit. Definitely. It reminded me of that first time they played Of the Earth in Dublin when he breaks the string and it's just hanging down the whole time. But that would obviously be 11, 12 years later. Yeah, it felt like they were getting into something like really cool, like it was headed for a really cool jam kind of outro section, but then it just kind of ended. I don't know if that was because of the broken string, like he didn't feel like he had it in him anymore, but like I was listening, I was like, okay, it's building, it's building, here we go, like this is going to get into something really cool, we're going to get like a long version here, but then it just kind of falls apart, and you're like, oh, well, you know, what could have been, but you know it's one of those things that just happens and nowadays if that happens the guitar tech runs out you know half a second later with the new one but i guess they weren't quite at that point yet from that point like they were kind of i don't know if they had planned to do save it for later but ed does the don't let me down to kind of charge the ending and finish up the ending but yeah this is one of those things where it's like shit happens and you have to make a decision on the fly either just get through it or improvise i suppose and i couldn't tell what string it was that he broke it looked thick but i'm not sure but hey if ed's gonna break a string you kind of need a little bit of time off from that right you need a little bit of a rest so string breaking means ed doesn't get to sing the next one it's like he he got penalized or something like that so stone's gonna take the next one they don't play it a whole lot Stone kind of takes the mic and and says all that, but Ed kind of cuts him off and says, speaking about a better man, we're going to turn it over to him. And I I feel like just let Stone speak when it's Stone's turn to speak. We we get to hear Ed. You don't have to cut him off. We know he's from West Seattle and he does this kind of thing. Stone, Gossard, from Seattle, West Seattle. It does kind of that thing, like, yeah, we know, like, just we want to hear from Stone. He's going to sing, so let's hear a little bit of uh, crowd interaction with him. on here like they sound checked it they were going to work through it it really sounds great mankind's known for having these kind of like train wreck performances occasionally but the last few that we've talked about have been pretty good and this is another really good one and you know what stone deserved this one because he was definitely the highlight of the first part of the set i thought with that brandon j solo the daughter i thought he had some great moments in in the second half of the set too so he needed a moment where he was kind of the the spotlight here and yeah this one was great and i think the the best part about this was just kind of seeing stone react to the whole thing because sometimes stone's a little like when he plays it it's it's like all right there's something about it that he either didn't like or he's super focused but he it seemed like he was having a lot of fun during this version and, and mankind's a fun song 
Yeah, you just need that. You just need that during that cut. Yeah, sometimes I think they, especially nowadays, if they break it out, it can be a little tight and like a little tentative. But yeah, this this one felt loose and relaxed. And yeah, those are the best versions of it. All right, we got four more in the main set here. And while we kind of dabbled within the middle albums a little bit here we're gonna get only 10 and verses and vitality for the last four and we're gonna start that with immortality i don't think we've really gushed about the immortality intro that much recently and i just want to take a second to give it its due because it's one of the great little things that they do live that doesn't happen on the record such a little thing but it makes the song and the introduction to the song just so much better yeah it's one of my favorite things like again one of the little things that you get live that you don't get on the record like you said that makes these performances special and why they're kind of the band that they are and yet you know that like every time they do this there's someone in the crowd who hasn't heard it before and like you don't know what's coming and that moment when it hits when it changes to to mortality it's just like Oh, it's like one of the best things that they do. It's one of those changing moments where it's like that moment of realization, like, oh, that's what that was. And like, it's so different, but it fits perfectly and complements the song very well. And yeah, it's just absolutely perfect. This is a good version. I think that it's all about momentum and how Mike is going to kind of set the ending and set the tone. And it's one of those where it kind of starts out pretty mild and then just rips right into it. So they go off on the end. But the back end of this, when they're kind of in the jam, it takes a little bit of time to materialize, but they're staying on course here. It doesn't go completely overload like some of those big time Jack versions, but still very good. Oh, I love when Mike just goes to the amps and just wails like that really slow build that they have to. They hold on to the build on this for a long time. I, I really, really enjoyed listening to this. It felt like it got real close to some of those early versions that are just absolutely fantastic. All right, last three of the main set here. We get our first two 10 of the night, even flow in black, and then we'll get to River Mirror in a second or two. That's a big three-headed monster to end on this show. For even flow's sake and the solo's sake, just watching this one in particular, it felt like watching Mike's fingers on this is just watching like factory machinery work. You know, like he kind of puts it on a setting, it knows what to do, it knows what notes to hit, and he just lets his hand do the business. And it's almost like the rest of his body doesn't have to do anything. The hand is just going off, and it's just astonishing to witness. You know, he's in full Eddie Van Halen mode here. And, you know, famously, it reminded me that Eddie Van Halen would play solos with his back to the audience so no one could see his fingers and try to copy what he was doing. And no one could see, like, the magic, you know, happening in person. 
and it felt like Mike was very, very close to that here. Like he should have been playing like with his back to the crowd because there's something happening here. He's got he's got something in him that he can he can break that out. It's very, very impressive. And even Flo, it felt like the whole night. You said like you know Stone was out. I thought this is, this is also a great Mike show, and here he just lets it all out full force. But also, there's another interesting thing that we don't get, and that's the build back into the chorus. We don't get that. We don't get that at all. It's just kind of like heavy strumming before Matt jumps back in. And that's interesting. You know, another one that coming from Mike's side that he's sort of changing up and that he's experimenting with. But you don't hear even flow that don't have that staple build up that happens in the song. talk about black a little bit too because i thought that this version kind of stands out when usually they do the we belong together it's all the way at the end and it kind of is the perfect finish to it and kind of is the storytelling aspect of the song but this one happens right after the why can't it be mine and i don't think i've ever heard that before going right into the we belong together really as the solo is about to take off solo in here again like screeching and soaring and then ending out with a somber delicate finish but that we belong together in the middle there was something really kind of unique yeah very very cool and like the visual on this too where you actually see lighters it took me back to like now you know you see everyone's phones the everyone turns the light on from but here you actually see cigarette lighters in the air with it being dark and that whoa, a very cool sight there yeah, you mentioned that kind of delicate outro. It really like gets very gentle and they let it again. They're just letting it linger and letting it hang. I thought that was super cool. I don't remember hearing that on a version of Black in a long, long time, if ever. And then like it gets into like a little bit more feedback and a little bit noisier at the end before they bring it down. But yeah, I mean, seven minutes here. That's really good for a Black in 2000. This is an excellent version. Yep. And we're finishing out Rearview Mirror. Uh, again, like the Raging Speed theme of the early set of this show is kind of ending out in the same way. But I thought the bridge was really special in this. You know, Ed's got the Ebo, he's creating some of that sound. Well, Stone is, has like this very pretty yet dark accentuating melody going. 
And that was a little interesting. What did you think of that? Yeah, it gets real weird. I like when, when Stone gets weird on this one, when they kind of break from the standard like rearview mirror, like let's just go off and do something else and see where it takes us. This is good. It gets super weird for a little while. And you're almost to the point where you're like, are we still in the same song here? Like what's yeah. happening? And I, yeah, Stone absolutely doing something really, really cool. And like dark, yeah, is a good way to describe it. It's got that kind of like almost kind of sinister feel to it that adds a lot to the song. I mean, Rearview Mirror, how many times do we have to say? Absolutely fantastic. Flying V here too, like yeah, he had the so Flying well. V a little bit in two thousand, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Interesting song to break it out. Huh? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I think I remember it mostly. He was doing like Brandon J and some of the punk rock more yeah. songs. I think God's Dice was another one, but yeah, yeah interesting for for Rearview Mirror. And again, that might just be one of those things where it's just like, all right, well, it's really early in the tour, and maybe you know, in a couple shows, we're not doing it this way, but just throw stuff out there and see if it works for sure nearly eight minutes on this too so you're looking at 15 minutes for the last two songs of the set and at the end there ed's hand looks like it's about to fall off i mean he's just (laughs) strumming you know from insignificance to grievance to what we saw in better man he is going really really hard at this show the big strobe light circus to end is a very very powerful performance so that's going to take us into the encore. Time to pause for station identification. Now, we heard from Steve earlier in the show, and I just want to let you guys know that he spent about 45 minutes with us, and we played, uh, you know, a, g- a good chunk from it, but we didn't play the whole 45 minutes, so where can you listen to the whole 45? Well, we're putting it over on our Patreon as an extra little bonus episode over there 
kind of started to call this series show day or something like that, but we can market it some other way when the time comes. But yeah, we, what we've been doing is, is whenever there's a guest on, have the conversation be a little bit more and then take that chunk and put it in as a real episode. So you actually get to hear the full conversation, kind of like what we've been doing with the profile, but it just specifically focusing on that show. So that is over on our Patreon right now. Other things that you can kind of expect for Patreon in the not-so-distant future, we recording the Letterman 2004 show, so the Late Night series is back, and they'll get working on that for the next coming months, of course. And yeah, at some point, you know, look out for that Evolution episode on Love Boat Captain, because uh, that one's going to be very, very good. But also... You know, whenever there's a tour that's coming up, that is where the tour recaps are going to be. And that's the stuff that has everybody coming back. So if you want to donate, it's over at patreon.com slash live on four legs. The three tiers are the bonus leg, $1 a month, the giga leg for $5 a month, or the horizon leg for $10 a month. And it's all going back to supporting us, supporting us on tour, supporting us in our website functions and, and helping us fund that and other little things too, to, to give back to you guys as much as possible. So if you're in it for the content, then there's tons of content over there. But also if you're in it to support us, help us anyway. And even if it's a dollar a month, that goes a long way. So the way that you can do it as obviously I mentioned patreon.com slash live on four legs, but also download the app and you can search for live on four legs on the Patreon app or just go to live on four legs.com and click the become a patron button anything to add to that that's pretty much our week coming in here yeah just keep checking live on fourlegs.com a lot of stuff coming there and like i said if you're not sure about being a patron and what you're going to get it's right there go to podcast episodes patreon exclusives you get to see everything that you'd have access to that are that our patrons have access to and just yeah thanks to everybody who's who's working and submitting stuff for the website and all our patrons who continue to donate we're we're excited for a new year here we are we're we're halfway through january already it's just blazing through that's right and we are still looking for our first brand new patron from 2023 we are waiting patiently to thank somebody on air. So will it be you? Maybe you're already a patron, but maybe the next person's looking to help us out, looking to get some new content and stuff like that. We recommend it. And even if it's for a little trial run, please feel free a dollar a month and just chip in and just check it out. And if it's not for you, then I guess it's just not for you. But please feel free. Patreon.com slash live on four legs. The only other thing that I got for that is we kind of hopped back on the YouTube train. I published out the Lost Dogs Disc 1 tier ranking. And this week, the Lost Dogs Disc 2 tier ranking is out. I only got two more of those left from what I recorded back in like April or May last year. I got really, really far behind on them. But there's some more ideas for stuff like that to do and maybe i'll post some to patreon as well maybe i'll do some patreon ones that are more like nerd specific like going over a tier list for a certain tour year or something like that but there's some ideas in mind and i'll put some more stuff out on on, on youtube but the youtube 
definitely go and check that out and, and subscribe to us. You can listen to the episodes over there if you choose, but there's no video accompaniment to it, so it doesn't really make sense. But yeah, you will get to see all of our new releases within the tier list content and hopefully can do some more stuff in 2023 as well. So, all right, back to the rock. Got an encore here with about eight more songs left. And Ed thanks Toronto, thanks Cameron on drums, and says he's got a band called Wellwater Conspiracy, and I have two records, the third one coming out soon. And then says, so much better than this crap we're playing tonight. Is it? He's being humble. Wellwater Conspiracy is very good, but giving Cameron a little shout out there, giving a little extra incentive for people to check it out. Yeah, and, and the crowd is like, wait a minute, no, no, that's not true, that's not true, and yeah, obviously... It's a joke. Gotta say it's a joke or else it's not a joke, right? And since this is the part of the evening where we're loose enough and we're going to take some requests and we're going to start out with one from the front row, you might not have heard of it before, but it's a nice one called Sleight of Hand. Sleight of Hand. Now, this is going back to the fan rankings that we did from Twitter and from Facebook before. Sleight of Hand got, I believe it was third place in that. And I'm not surprised by that because I know a lot of people that are really sneaky, quiet Sleight of Hand fans and really, really appreciate the song. But I think it definitely hits better live than on record. You get to kind of feel the song's motivation, the song's build, the song's drive. And on the record, you know, by Narl, towards the end, you can kind of fizzle out of it a little bit, but this song should be more of a live staple, especially nowadays where people can appreciate it more. And it is brought out like once or twice a year, you know, not at the big shows or anything like that, even though it was played at Apollo this year, but it does show up. And I think what really gravitates the people towards it is not the way that you sing along with it or anything. It's just the way that it just charges and the way that during those builds and the choruses just rise and sort of soar a little bit too and get a little bit spacey there. So what'd you think? As good as any version that I've ever heard here. I mean, just note perfect almost. I was thinking too, this this might be a sneaky good evolution episode at some point. I know we've got we've got a lot on the docket upcoming, but this one would be a, a worthwhile one maybe. But yeah, just absolutely again, just thunders. I thought Cameron just absolutely stand out on this, just tailored perfectly to his sound and the way he plays. Yeah, this is a one of the best versions of Slide of Hand I've ever heard. The book you read in his sleep In his sleep Sometimes he hid in his radio Watching others pour into their homes While he was drifting On the line You can see it. 
I remember there was a version of Sleight of Hand from 2006 that we covered, and both of us were, were gushing over that, so we might have to go back to that one and really see what the difference is. But this is also a song that I feel like once time sort of developed, this song kind of developed too. You get that a lot, like the, the post-tour kind of songs, like what's a good example of that? Uh, like Smile. Smile's a really good example of that. Uh, Smile in, really in wasn't hiding. played all a lot. Yeah, in, in Hiding's not a bad one. I think yeah. they played it a little bit more. Uh, Low Light's the one. Yeah. Low Light is, is the one from that record. But Nothing Man. Yeah, of course, Nothing Man, because they didn't play it at all in 1995. So, yeah, yeah I can see Sleight of Hand sneakily being that a little bit. And again, if they keep doing these sit-down sections, I'd love to see it pop up a little more. We saw it near the end in Oklahoma City. Good. And I would love to see that continue. I can see it. Again, not every night or anything like that, but they'll sneak it in somewhere for sure. Crazy Mary is a talking point here because you got to think 2000 Crazy Mary. This is sort of the buffer year, but it's the year that the song returns. If you remember, we did an Evolution episode on this early last year, and that is available on either liveonfourlegs.com or our Patreon. And it just kind of brings back some of those talking points of this is what the song sounded like before Boom. And really, there aren't a ton of versions that happened before Boom. So you get like sort of the sample size. And, you know, you're so used to the duel and you're so used to Boom going off. But it is interesting when Mike is the one that's supposed to be the highlight of the jam section at the end. quite the crazy mary that you've come to know and love but it's still very noteworthy for what mike is doing and how they're going to take this and translate it and add what boom does into what this is so yeah always good and it we learned too like black diamond was actually on the set list as possibly being played here and it looks like they ended up cutting it for crazy mary yeah, that's just insane to me, and especially yeah. because and that would be the huge talking point from the show, but especially it, it took them seven years. Yep. So yep. so why here? Like, why would this be the one, and why would you want to cut it, you know? Maybe maybe, they were maybe Cameron saw Stone was going to sing and was like, hey, give me a chance, man. Yeah. I'm ready. Or, hell, maybe Cameron wasn't supposed to be the one that sang it in this maybe. era. 
Maybe Mike was going to sing it, yeah. Maybe. Maybe Ed was just going to sing it. You never know. Yeah, yeah. Something about the Mike part on this, the solo, it it did remind me of something here. What he's doing in a little bits of it kind of sounded like one of the pieces of Band on the Run. I don't know how accurate it is, but I listened to it back to back. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I, I can see where the familiarity is with it. And Band on the Run is one of those songs that like sounds like nine different songs and has so many different pieces and parts to it, but it's the one that the like he does a little bit of that. It doesn't last very long, but it kind of piqued my ears and sort of made the connection there. Maybe What's something it? he's played a something he's played a thousand times and just threw it in without even thinking about probably, it. Probably. Probably. It always it always happens. Once in Evolution, Once was fine. Nothing really exceptional, memorable about this version of Once. Evolution's pretty fired up. Stone, back to being in control on the solo. This is a really, really good solo here. Anything on these two? And just, again, Stone on Evolution. That's one thing I always look forward to now, because we get Evolution a lot doing these shows every week, and I always look forward to to seeing what Stone's going to do. Not quite the Brain of Jay moment from earlier, but still very good. Both of those songs, 98-2000, just sounded electric coming from Stone. So after Evolution, we're going to go right into a Yield one before hearing from Ed. And he asked the crowd if they've heard of Stephen Hawking. He predicted that the human race has about a thousand years left on the planet. So I'm happy for the planet. I was trying to think of what it means. Does it mean go fucking nuts for the next thousand years? Or be careful who you vote for so the corporations aren't in charge for the next thousand years having all the fun. Those are some of the thoughts. These are some of the wishes. Interesting to think about the next thousand years. I I think at this point, didn't really have much of a clue on climate change that we do now. I wonder how he would have felt. We 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 had Al Gore. We did have Al Gore, but I think climate change really kind of sprouted in like, what, 04, 05, where he really started sending that message out. So I'm sure a lot of his study went into that, but I wonder if he would think differently now because things are happening so fast. Yeah, the, the corporations definitely won in, uh, yeah. in this, uh, this little battle that he's talking about here. And uh, we got 977 years left to turn it back around. We'll see. Hearing that kind of reminded me of the movie Wally. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, where the corporation is kind of in control of the whole world and they kind of prevent the people from going back to Earth and they don't have any life form technically on the planet. So, yeah, hopefully we never get there. But anyway, uh, I wish it is a bummer. Everything's a bummer. If you think about it for more than five seconds. (laughs) 2023, it's a bummer. Great. Yeah, we're just, why don't we just say that there's no tour coming, like no Santa Claus, right? Oh, come on, come on. You gotta have some hope. Well, I think Wishlist can give you a little bit of hope here. There's some cool things happening in Wishlist. There's a cool moment when Ed's doing the 50 million hands up raised. The camera pulls back, and you don't quite get to see all the hands, but the way that Ed reacts to it, he's kind of like, wow. So it must be everybody all putting their hands up. It's one of those things that it's kind of a not a call and response for the crowd, but it's one of those keys that the crowd knows what to do when. And yeah, I, like it must have made for a good visual for Ed. 
Yeah, one of those like participatory moments that the crowd gets to take a part of a song and like make it their own and do something again. This whole year is about the crowd picking up the band and and showing them the appreciation. And this is one of those moments that like if you get that kind of reaction out of Ed, you know it's genuine. And yeah, really cool special moment. Are you as fortunate as Getty Lee? No, because Getty Lee was sitting on the side of the stage, and I have it never was. done that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think any of us are as fortunate as Getty Lee in a lot of aspects. But version is cool. Disco balls out and everything. Crowd really reacted to this one. The Ebo sounds great. Oh, yeah. It's a little scratchy. The crowd really reacts to the Ebo well. when he ties those things together and i wonder if he that's one of those things that we mentioned before where he kind of telegraphs what he's going to talk about and then adds it in before specific songs so it can kind of go back to it i like when he does that yeah 2000 to 2003 is kind of the golden age of wishlist where they were really playing around with it and they're giving it a real, a real featured spot here like obviously no alive at the end of the show so you're getting these kind of other songs thrown in the back of what would be the traditional, you know, bread and butter or whatever. Yeah, given Wishlist an important spot here at the back of the encore. This is cool. And that's actually a perfect conversation for right now because the song that's happening before Bob O'Reilly to end the first encore is one that you usually get here. It's not too rare to hear late in a set and I'm bullshitting everybody. It's Leatherman. Is that strange? Or no? I think not for the time. I think it's just one of those things where, like, he's got a couple minutes. Yeah, like, bust through it. Like, Lost Dog's obviously not out yet. Here's a B-side. Like, bust it out. He loves the song, obviously. Very protective of it. And, yeah, just throw it out there. I mean, these encores, you know, you see it wasn't really scripted. It was just, hey, here's a list of songs. Let's play whatever we feel like playing. Yeah, and it's interesting because, yeah, if you think about it in terms of what they would do now, it's alive and not even close. Leatherman makes the show on a whim, maybe once every 30 or 40. But yeah, this is alive without a doubt. But even in like 98, you know, it felt like a lot of the encores in 98 kind of happened where it's just like, all right, last exit into rocking in the free world or something like that, where it's kind of the band creating the set list for kind of playing what we want 
messing around and playing songs that they just want to hear, but also what it kind of turned into, and I think that 2003 is a really good example of that, is that this section became the let's give the crowd a big moment to go off on. And while Leatherman is a nice song and everything like that, it's not one of those songs that is necessarily like the crowd pleaser, the, the reactionary song, the party song. I didn't really think that they they had that. Yeah, and again, I'm looking at this like Leatherman hasn't been played since 2016. Like, come on, guys, bring that thing back. Like, and that's travesty. Like, such a fun little song. You'd think they could just break this out any time. Like, ah, bring, bring Leatherman back, please. But maybe keep it away from Encore too. You know, well, no, occasionally, like you know, you you'll get a go or a comatose or spin the black circle that kind of fills that spot now late. But no, bring it anytime. Like open up an encore two with Leatherman. Like sure, you're in a party mode, you're having fun. Like yeah, it's, it's two minutes. Like sure, why not? Um, we're talking about like you know, don't put it where alive is. <laughs> I don't you think know. you have to worry about that. I'm not, not at all. Anyway, so. Yeah, that's kind of the the in-between for Bob O'Reilly, but Bob O'Reilly is going to be the hit out of all these, and there's some things to discuss here as revisionist history, of course, but Ed says, we saw this band a few nights ago, and it was pretty inspiring. They've been around for a long time, and they're going to put out a tribute album together, and sometimes those things aren't that good, but this one could be really good. So we're going to try to attempt to get this song on there. We're going to try it a few times on this tour, here and in Chicago, and if you're better than Chicago, you'll be on the record. Keely hit the lights. Guess what? You weren't better than Chicago, but also Chicago wasn't better than you because neither of you got on the record. Yep. The record is called Substitute, and the choice that they picked for Pearl Jam was to go with The Kids Are All Right. I wonder... I wonder, because Bob O'Reilly is one of those songs, it's just one of those grand, like, bigger-than-the-band type songs, like, you know, one of the best rock and roll songs in the history of rock and roll. I wonder if everybody just kind of thought, like, let's just leave that one be. You can play around with other songs, but maybe that was an untouchable. Yeah, and it didn't feel like this was a perfect performance of Bob O'Reilly, one that would like they would go back to and be like, yeah, we need to preserve that forever. Whereas that that performance of the kids are right now, ninety nine percent they used the version from Seattle at the end of the tour. Whereas that is like a special night, a special performance where you go back and listen and you're like, yeah, like there was some magic in the air on that one. And again, Pearl Jam sometimes will go small when you expect them to go big. So going with the kids are all right, you know, I can see them kind of like, you know, subvert the dominant paradigm and let, let's throw, they, they, they might want Bob O'Reilly, but let, let, let's give them kids are all right instead. You know, we'll, we'll go with that one. It's still a fun version. You, there's a cool moment where I think Stone goes over to Jeff and they're kind of, they're dancing a little bit and having some fun. But yeah, it, it didn't feel like this was one of like the blow the doors down Bob O'Reilly that we've heard before. I will say that this show felt like it needed a little bit more of that, a little bit more of dancing and having fun kind of thing. Because it just kind of felt like they, they just played a live show. And while that's great and everything like that, I think some of, and in 2000, there's a lot less of this, but I think some of the lore of seeing anybody play live music is to see them be into it. And I'm not saying that they weren't into it, but they were definitely kind of cornered into their zones for most of this. So Encore 2 has one song. It's one last goodbye. We're going to close out on Indifference. 
and he's got the crowd in the grasp of his hand and gives it one more ride, letting his vocal stretch at the end. The crowd loves this show. That's the big takeaway that I got from this. This this crowd really, really appreciated this show. And although it wasn't one where Ed had too many conversations, that Ed told too many stories, it's one that it felt like the crowd needed in a way because, as Steve mentioned, they hadn't played in an arena in four years here. So it had been a long time since, like, Toronto proper. Barry's outside of Toronto a little bit when they did that that festival thing. But I think this was something that they had been waiting for for a long time, and it seemed like Pearl Jam really connected for him. Yeah, and differences is, again, coming out for an encore, too. You know, if you look at, at Five Horizons, they do say that, like, sounded like Babu was supposed to be last, but the crowd was so worked up that they're like, oh, we got to go out and, and play one more. And, like, indifference is very, very calm. It's not the big sing-along and not the big kind of anthem that it sometimes becomes. It's very relaxed and very sedate is maybe not the right word, but very deliberate and like, let's just get this. Let's just bring this down. We're going to give you one more. Let's just have a moment to just kind of chill out. It's a cool way to end a show. We, we talk about indifference a lot, but this is, this is a unique one. All right, well, that's it for this show, 25 Songs in 2000. Let's get to some top three moments. John, share them with us. Uh, This is is tough. A lot of good moments here at this show. My number three is going to be Black, mostly due to that long kind of gentle outro that I thought was very, very cool. My number two is going to be Corduroy. Absolutely everything's changed. Incredible build. The solo section just absolutely lets loose and takes all that energy from the first part of the set and gives it somewhere to go. And my number one's actually Slide of Hand. Like we, we talked a little bit about it. A lot of people picked it as their favorite live song off Binary. I'm, I'm with you. I thought this was as good a version of Slide of Hand as, as we've ever heard. Yeah. 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 Very solid choices. I'm going to share one of them with you. And I think for number three, for me, I'm going to go with Mankind just because it had been a while hearing it at a show. And this one was a lot of fun. One of the better performances. And you can just see it on Stone's face that he was having a good time. So, yeah, like this version. Uh, number two, just like you, I have Corduroy in it. Number two, it was just it felt like a massive opening to the show it felt like a big welcome and in 2000 whenever any era that you could think of corduroy just explodes and gets that crowd moving and going and that's really the introduction into the pearl jam show but my number one is brenda j and that all has to do with the way that stone just ripped that solo and that's a phenomenal version that we get on this all right so we're here at a rating what do you got uh, I'm gonna go with a with a solid eight. I know Gabby went with went with a nine. This is a very good show, highly recommended, but I don't think it gets to that classic level. I'm gonna give it this a solid eight. Yeah, that's where I am too. I'm at an eight, and I, I guess what really separates and what should separate this from some of the top top shows is that it just didn't really feel like it had a full storyline to it, and. You know, not all shows have to, but it just kind of felt like it was a collection of songs. And while the performances were very good, there weren't a lot of, like, big attachment moments in this. So, yeah, that's kind of what separates it. I think if there was 
one or two things where you can really take out of the show and, and kind of use as a landmark for Pearl Jam, like little, little things that have kind of defined, not even defined their history, but are just kind of memorable. I didn't think that this show had a lot of those things, you know, and some of it does have to do with the interactions with the crowd, but yeah, 2000 is a tough one for that, but it's solid. It's an eight. So there we are with that. Okay, next week we're going to do another Patreon request, believe it or not. And this one's going to take us to the No Code Tour in 1996, heading up to the Meriwether Post Pavilion, which has been a spot for Pearl Jam in this era, while I think they did it three years in a row in 96, 98, and 2000. Probably haven't been back since. I don't believe they played in 2006. And this was also one of the venues that people thought they were going to replace Baltimore with this year, uh, right, last year. Right. But uh, yeah, it's going to be Columbia, Maryland. Uh, it's got a great poster. It's It looks like a good show. We're going to get into talking to Brian, who pitched the show to us. So that should be a lot of fun and can't wait to do that. So that's next week. If you love the No Code Tour, then stick with us. Hang with us. I will be, be there. Really? Will you? <laughs> I do love the No Code Tour. I will, I'm, I'm not going to miss this one. Yeah, I, I agree. You're going to be there because we're there for all of them. Yep. And we're there because you guys need to relive some memories. And I know that this is a good area, Maryland, D.C., Virginia, where like a lot of people you know, have, have been to their first shows over in this one. And I know a lot of people when reacting to this said that this was their first show. So this is a good one for a lot of you to, to rekindle some memories on. So we're happy to bring that to you guys as always and can't wait to do it next week but one more thing before we go is just to again humbly ask you guys if you like the show if you're listening right now if you've made it all the way to the end then i hope that you guys could waddle on over to spotify or apple and just leave us a comment or leave us a five-star rating. It's really going to help out the show. It helps out our visibility. And anytime you search for Pearl Jam, you know, we just want to be one of the top ones that comes up. And we usually are, but that's how you get to stay like that is through the, the positive ratings and the positive comments. I know a lot of you guys have done just that, and we thank you guys for doing that. But if you guys are interested in helping us out in that way, then we'll send you a little thank you gift just for doing that. So over on Spotify, you can rate us over on Apple. You can rate us, but also over on Apple, you can leave us a comment. So yeah, that is something. If you want to give back to the show without donating to Patreon, that is one of the things that we really appreciate. So, okay. I think we've made it. Let's say goodbye to y'all. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. Although we may be parting ways. Miss you already. Miss you always. Until next week, where we dip into 1996. Had a fun one here for Binaural in 2000 in Toronto. So, see you next week. Feels like we're taking off.
Thank you. Good night.